and welcome to this discussion on what executive recruiters wish you knew. I'm Isabel Pacheco, Chair of the Leadership Incubator Committee of NALI, the National Association of Healthcare Executives, and I'll be moderating today's discussion. Think about the tremendous career knowledge that executive recruiters have. Each day, they have a front row seat to the drama that happens between hiring organizations and executive job candidates. They see the best performances from candidates and, well, some that are not the best. As you think about your career and look for ways to advance and grow, don't you wish you knew what executive recruiters knew? Today, you'll have a chance to hear inside wisdom from two highly experienced executive search professionals, Adrian Willing, senior partner in Whitkeefer's Healthcare Practice, and Diane Smith, RN, BSN, a consultant in the firm's mid-level executive search practice. Adrian and Diane have supported hundreds of executives, searches, and spoke with thousands of executives looking for jobs. It's safe to say they've seen and heard it all. I think you'll find this conversation to be insightful and intriguing. Some of the questions we'll explore include how has COVID-19 changed the healthcare executive job market? How you can ace an interview? What do you need to know about search firms? What are the classic job search mistakes to avoid? These are just a few of the questions we'll cover. So without further ado, let's bring in Adrian and Diane. Diane, Adrian, it's great to talk with you today. Thanks, Isabel. It's wonderful to speak with you as well. And Diane and I are certainly looking forward to the discussion. Great. Let's get started. So let's talk about some background in the market. Adrian, what are the general trends impacting healthcare talent? The industries have seen healthcare and recruitment, just like so many other industries, have really seen a significant slowdown right as it became evident that COVID was here to stay for a while. So that late fall into winter timeframe, you know, things, things certainly slowed down for a bit. In particular, as I said, in healthcare, you know, they were focusing on much other critical things, obviously, taking care of others and taking care of their own teams. Late winter, early spring, things started going um, and picking up tremendously. So the market has really bounced back. And, you know, there's a little bit of caution, though, because um, I think there's there's a, a concern about is, is this recent, is a surge the new normal? Will there be a lot of movement or is it more temporary and more of that recovery surge? And so as a result, we are seeing a, an increase in some of the interim work in temporary uh, recruitment and in contract work. I think the other thing that's impacting it is the ability to work remotely and that broadens the pools. So from a candidate perspective, that's good and that's bad, right? It opens up your opportunities to, to look at positions in areas where you might not normally look, but it also broadens the talent pool. The other thing I think is mergers and acquisitions have really impacted the, the talent pool as well. And as organizations and hospitals and healthcare systems have come together, there's no need for two CFOs, two CNOs, so on and so forth. And that's really had an impact and consolidated some of those more traditional titles. The flip side of that, though, I think is, is we're also seeing a lot of new titles and new roles being created. DE&I certainly taking a, a, a front and center, cybersecurity, innovation, 
community health, community impact, quality and safety, wellness officers for organizations. So there's a lot of new roles being created as well. And all of this, I think, just basically says that there's an incredible demand for game-changing talent moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Excellent segue into my next question, Adrienne. Keeping in line with the trends that you just mentioned, what are the competencies that are in demand because of those trends? So I think part of it is, as we've seen, so has been so prevalent um, and, and so necessary, is the ability to be flexible and adaptable. And those, those have become even more critical. The other piece is crisis management and how, how people um, can change and, and, and be agile and manage and handle themselves and others in crises. Team building, and especially that given the role that you're looking at, team building and managing in a virtual environment is critical, as is matrix management and being able to work in that environment where you may have full responsibility for something, but you don't necessarily have full authority. So at the end of the day, I am responsible for X, but the people that impact X have dotted line reporting relationships into a variety of others as well. So the ability to influence and work through a matrix management type system. You know, the other thing I think is critical is, you know, we used to, when you said the word technology, you used to think chief information officer or an IT executive, an IT specialist. Anymore, digital technology is really an enabler for almost any role. And so the importance of understanding the digital world is, is a critical skill also. I think the other two things I'll mention is generational knowledge and understanding the differences in how to engage with different generations and people um, who look at the world and their work differently, and empathy. Empathy in terms of what people have all lived through and what we've been through, and empathy in terms of how we view our teammates, our colleagues, our clients moving forward. And I think I would add to those, um, Adrian, leadership, strong communication and mentoring, right? So having the players in place to then mentor into the senior executive roles. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I definitely can appreciate the comments on matrix organizations. I have had some recent experience in that, and that's been a different trend that I'm seeing. Very interesting. So let's switch over, Diane. What has COVID-19 meant to candidate hiring in healthcare? Sure. Well, COVID-19 has certainly brought significant changes for all of us, and that definitely includes executive search. Um, We've had to get creative in interviewing. Video meetings became the norm for all of us. We all became experts overnight. I would say many of the job responsibilities have shifted, so especially at the mid-level, and they may or may not shift back. Some executives held off their retirements while mid-level consolidated roles and responsibilities and was even slower to rebound in their recruitment efforts. We saw a lot of that go internally at the mid-level, you know, initially at the onset of the pandemic, as Adrian said, and then come, you know, late winter, early spring, we definitely saw an increase in that. Um, we've seen an increase for the needs, as Adrian said, for skills like empathy and flexibility the ability to collaborate, and even virtual team building, which is new for most 
um, especially in healthcare. So I think too, we've seen candidates looking for new opportunities that provide more meaningful work. I think there are many who are considering opportunities in different areas of the country to be closer to family. We've seen a lot of our candidates reevaluating what's really important to them as they consider their next opportunity. I think, Diane, too, you know, your point about reevaluating their current situations and what's important. We've seen people who have decided that the organization that they're currently working for, they've seen how, you know, most organizations have handled the pandemic really well. But we've also seen, you know, depending upon who managers are and 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 reporting relationships, we've seen some that have have seen some characteristics in their immediate supervisor or whatever that are not really who they want to be working for moving forward. And so we're seeing movement to really paying attention to the values of an organization, not only my, and and how they align, I guess I would say with my personal values. Absolutely. COVID has definitely changed the market for us all. So looking and thinking before you leave, let's discuss looking and thinking before you leap into the job market. Diane, how can leadership candidates position themselves for the market? Sure. So as you said, definitely look and think before you take that next opportunity, right? Take inventory. We would encourage candidates to recognize their values as Adrian touched on. Um, Assess whether the opportunity is right for them. Are they seeking a strategic role versus an operational role? Maybe something new. We are seeing new roles being developed. Candidates, they need to prepare their information. Resumes, cover letters, you know, understand what are their career goals and be ready to market themselves in the current marketplace. I would encourage them to be self-aware, not just apply for anything. So be really strategic about their next opportunity. I also think that growing a strong network will be important. It has always been important, as well as developing relationships with recruiters before you begin searching for that next opportunity and really continue to foster those throughout your career. And Adrian, how do candidates know when to jump right in? You know, that's a that's a great question. And and there is no magic to that. Um, certainly it's it's a personal decision. But what you do need to do is you need to understand that you need to know what you're looking for and you need to be ready to do this. It's it's tough to kind of look for a new job with you know half time. And when I say half time, I don't mean physical time, I mean just Am I looking? Am I not really looking? Uh, maybe I'll just t- put put my toe in the water. It's tough to do that. And, and not impossible, but tough to do that um, because it does take a lot of time. And you really do need to, as Diane said, reflect on what you're looking for. I would say you want to research the specific organizations. Look at the organizations that you're working, that you're looking at or that you'd like to work for or that you're impressed with. See what their job markets are looking like. Watch their websites, even for some of those senior roles, not even for the mid-level roles like Diane works in, but for the senior level roles that I'm more focused on, especially as we talked about just a few minutes ago, integration and mergers and acquisitions of of systems merging together. Those larger systems are trying to do more of their search work on their own. And as a result, they will start by listing their own their jobs, even senior level positions on their websites. And so understand, you know, take a look at those and spend some time doing some research on different companies. I'd also say 
Be as specific as you can on some points about what you want. It's really hard for me to help a candidate that will call someone that'll call to do some networking and, and, and say, you know, I just want an opportunity, a job that lets me to continue to grow and use my skill sets. That's okay. And so what are they? And, and it just, it's very generic. And what I'd like to hear is something more along the lines of, Hey, I'm open to a job that involves operations particularly, let's say, in the area, in the ambulatory setting, in an organization that's larger or more complex than my current role. And I'd love to be in a larger city in the Southeast or in the Midwest. That helps me be much more focused on on how I can best help them. The other thing is, is understand and know and have the story about why are you looking. And, you know, when we talk about kind of the interest in uh, or, or or the level of interest and understanding, you know, when is it time to jump in? Know why you're looking, because that's one of the first questions that you're going to get is why, why are you looking? The second question you're going to get is, and why this? So have good answers for those. People want to know that you're running to something as opposed to away from something. And why this? They want to know specifically why you want to work for their organization. Not, oh, because it's in Colorado and I love Colorado. Um, I, that could be a reason, right? But that's a little further down the line than because I've been watching your organization grow and I would be thrilled and excited to be a part of that growth opportunity. Is so, so those are the two questions you need to be prepared about. The other piece is, is make sure that your family, significant other are on board. And on a board with not only just the move, but the specific opportunity that you might be looking at. So what happens, and we try to avoid this at, at every um, at every angle, but Diane and you know can attest to this as well. What happens so sometimes is you'll get down to pretty far into a search with a particular candidate, and they all of a sudden say you know, my wife is not interested in moving to Omaha, Nebraska. And it's really hard for me not to say to them, this position has been in Omaha, Nebraska since we started talking, right? No, Omaha, Nebraska is not changing. Um, and, and so before you even start talking about that, know that your family's on board because it, 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 it just wastes your time and it wastes everybody else's time, right? And as I started with this, it takes a lot of time to look for a job in the right way and to do it in the right meaningful way. The other thing when we talk about time that I want to end on here is it does take a lot of time, as we said. Let's dig into that a minute. So not only the time that you put into researching and that you put into where do I want to look, how do I want to look, writing a resume, getting you know all of that in, in shape. It's then the time that you, if say I want to interview or your Diane wants to interview you, you'll spend time on the phone with us first, about a half an hour, maybe more. Then you will spend an hour to two hours on a video interview with us. And if you, if you get to the next step, you'll meet with the client. That could involve anywhere from an hour interview for the first one, an hour and a half interview, 
or they might want to have the leadership team involved. And that could take up the better part of a day or a half a day. So then if you move to the final round of interviews, and and then I'm I'm speaking kind of in a COVID world, pre-COVID first round interviews were, were in person, whether or not we go back to that in a large sense is I think still to be determined um, whether clients go back to that. So second round interviews, you would be on site to the client, you'd be on site to the hiring organization, and you would probably spend a good day to day and a half there between meetings and between looking at the community and getting to know the, the organization there's a lot of time that takes that that's, that goes into this. So knowing what you want to want to do and want to who you want to work for, what you want to do, and having interest in this, and not just just feeling around, touching around to see if 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 you want to make a move, because it does take a lot of time. Absolutely, and I would just stress the time commitment piece. I can't tell you, and I'm sure Adrian would say the same. How often candidates tell us they just did not realize how time-consuming it was, and the amount of upfront research is also extremely important because clients know when they're speaking with candidates who've done their homework and and feedback comes back to us, oh, wow, they really did their homework. So, you know, I would encourage candidates, just make sure you really do have the time to fully commit yourself and that your family's on board as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I really like the comment, no that you're running to something and not running from something that's important. So let's talk about a search firm specifically. So Diane, do you want to talk about, you know, what do candidates need to know about search firms and what is the obligation to the client? So in executive search, we recruit for a specific position for an organization. So our obligation is to the employer, both ethically and legally. We look for leadership solutions for the clients. Um, We serve rather than roles for a specific candidate. Compensation usually starts around the $200,000 for the executive level. Now within mid-level, it's around $150,000. So they hire us to recruit that specific position. Retained search firms, they they provide valuable resources of information and feedback. We have a broad market reach, a really robust network. Um, We're also able to help you avoid surprises and seamlessly guide you through that process. We'll speak a little bit about that later on in the discussion. But I think just understanding a search firm is that we are recruiting for a specific position for our client organization. And and Adrian, um, forging relationships with consultants before you need them. You want to talk about that? Well, you know, that's that's the part, Isabel, that we never really take time to think about, um, or we many of us don't take the time to think about our next job, right? Uh, because we're so busy with our current job. And we never, we never want to be, none of us want to be in a situation where all of a sudden we're out of a job. And unfortunately, during COVID and just life and um and, and as we talked about mergers and acquisitions and all of that, there are times when we just find ourselves without a role and 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 without that next position to step into. And so what we say is is get to know us before you need us. And what that means in terms of getting to know us is reaching out, making a connection, 
you don't want to reach out every week and say, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? Because as Diane said, remember, we do work for clients. So we are focused on, I've had people ask me if I could help them in their job search. And certainly I can, I can help you. I can provide any thoughts or input or advice or whatnot. But if I don't have a job that's specific for you, that you're a specific match for, I'm not going to be that much of a help to you, right? Um, because I'm trying to match up what our specific clients need with your skills. But it doesn't mean that we don't take a lot of time. Our candidates are incredibly important to us. And I say candidates very generically. It doesn't just mean you're an active candidate. It means that you're someone that we are building relationships with. If we get paid by our clients, certainly, and then that's where our obligation is to, but without our candidates, we wouldn't have jobs, right? And so the other piece is, is our, our candidates often become then our clients. As our candidates move into new roles, if we take good care of them, you know, they'll see that we can balance both sides of that relationship and our candidates become clients. So that's what we say is about getting to know us before you need us. And, and I say us, and I mean, reach out to number a number of search firms and, you know, reach out to say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in starting to take a look. Here are, as I said, be as specific as possible. Here are some of the things that I'm looking for in my next role. Would you please keep me in mind? Another, you know, six, eight weeks later, depending upon how active you are, another six, eight weeks later, just reach out again, just saying, hey, I made a minor adjustment on my resume. Here's, here's the updated or just added something to my resume. Here's the updated. So that's how I mean reaching out. But do it to a number of search firms. Don't put any of your, any, all of your eggs in one basket because we're all working on different search. That is in executive search, we work on a specific search and we are the only firm working on that search. So it's important to have cast a broad net. I think the other thing to be aware of is we, Whitkeeper has been in business for over 50 years. So we have our records, <laughs> meaning we, we keep notes on candidates. So we have a rich history, which of course is part of what helps us make us successful so that we can reach out and have that broad network. But from a candidate perspective, you remember that, that we do have that history. So treat those relationships with respect. And I think Diane made the comment earlier, don't be looking for everything because when you look at something, it goes into our databases. And there can be times when you might say, this person looks at everything, they don't know what they want because you can see a history of them reaching out for everything. So just make sure that you, you keep an active connection with recruiters and partner with us just as we look to partner with you. I would also add, as Adrian said, we do talk amongst ourselves. So having a relationship and our colleagues, so not just within Wake Kiefer, but other colleagues we have. And now the pandemic or coming into the endemic has shown us new roles we reach out to our network and say, anybody you could recommend and, and having that relationship and the appropriate communication and interaction keeps you at the forefront of our minds. Great. Let's talk a little bit about interview tips. Adrian, uh, any insights on how do you ace the interview? 
Uh, again, there's there's no no special sauce to that. I think part of it is being yourself, but being a prepared yourself. Do your homework and do your homework before you even talk to the recruiter, right? So you certainly are doing your homework when you're talking to the client. Treat a recruiter as the client as well. Uh, and when I, I say client, but treat the recruiter as the organization that you want to work for. Because if you don't show us that you've done your homework and you're prepared, we are going to be concerned about putting you in front of our client, the hiring organization, as they may see you as unprepared as well. So do your homework. The other thing that I would say is for an interview, and I I'm talking more broadly interviews. I'm not talking about an interview necessarily with us. I'm talking about when you're with a client, when you're with a, the hiring organization, be prepared because a lot of times you'll have, especially larger group interviews, to have a three to four minute infomercial on yourself. And that's not a chronological regurgitation of your resume. It's more about your philosophy on leadership. What drives you? What makes you stand out from the rest of the applicants that they're going to be seeing? What connects you to the opportunity? It's that three to four minutes that, especially as I mentioned in those larger group interviews, you're meeting with the team that might be directly reporting to you. And a good way to start out that interview might be, how about if I start by just taking a minute or two to tell you a little bit about myself, and then we go into your questions. It just helps to set the stage and set the tone for the discussion and gives people some starting place for asking questions. But also what it does is it gives you an opportunity to get that message out. It gives you an opportunity to let them see a little bit more about you and to let them see you as a leader and see a little and hear a little bit more about the things that you might not hear about in a question and answer series. I think the other piece that I would say about acing an interview is you can't talk too much in an interview or let's flip that. You can talk too much and that's not a good thing. <laughs> you, you want to listen very carefully, answer their questions and then stop. And what I tell folks is to use examples as much as you can. People don't want to hear your philosophy on how important physician relations are. What they want to hear is they want to hear how you have worked with physicians and partnered with physicians in specific scenarios. Adrian, tell me about your partnering with physicians and give me some examples of what you've done there. I'm not going to go into the importance of it. I'm going to say, well, let me give you a very specific example of a time and tell them about the situation Tell them about the actions that I took and the involvement that I and the team had and what were the results. And the more that you can quantify results, the better. So it's concise, but answer their question with example, situation, the actions, and then the results. It's okay also, I would say, to use humor appropriately. Again, it makes us human. And that's what you want to, you want to show them your EQ during an interview. 
You want to show them that you've got humor, that you listen, that you show empathy. And again, I, I think that you want to anticipate some of the questions that they may ask. So look at the role that you're inter- that you're interviewing with, or let's just say it's a CEO role or a chief operating officer role. You're going to know they're going to ask you about operations, about improvement, about quality, about safety, about teaming, about physicians. And, and I tell people, you almost have the resume behind the resume. You can't list every one of your examples and situations on your resume, nor should you. And what you do want to do, though, is you want to have those examples at the ready so that when they ask you a question about quality, you can think about a time that you really had an impact on quality because for years you've been writing down examples of how you've been able to do that and specific projects and initiatives that you've worked on that if you're not prepared for that, you can't come up with in an interview where you're already a bit on edge or, 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 or tense. And, and so you want to have those already kind of at, at your fingertips. Great. Let's talk a bit about interviewing, video interviewing. Diane, do you have any insights onto special considerations for video interviewing? I do. So this is one of my favorite topics. The pandemic made us all video meeting experts literally overnight. But I, I like to share reminders to candidates who are virtually interviewing. As Adrian said, first interviews, um, we are now interviewing virtually, but first interviews with the clients are, are also, they've been virtual and, and we'll see if that continues. But, you know, I like to encourage candidates to be mindful of the environment, right? What does their backdrop look like? What's behind them? Um, how's the lighting? You want it distraction-free, whether it be from children, pets, knocks at the door, um, that's all really important when thinking about the environment that you're creating for this interview and, and distraction-free. I also like to remind that positioning of the computer camera is really important. So you want it at eye level to create that good virtual eye contact. So that may mean putting your camera up on some boxes or, or books, your whole computer, um, because looking directly at the camera is considered virtual good virtual eye contact. Um, I, I know Adrian would also agree with me, times where, you know, you're looking down onto a person or you're looking on them. So I I would just encourage having the camera at eye level. And we're all inclined, we're human beings to look at the screen. We want to see how we look, what the interview is doing, but it really does create a visual disconnect um, during the interview. So I encourage candidates as, as much as they are able to look directly at the camera. I think appearance is another important reminder. Video interviews are like any other, right? We encourage interview suits, ensure that if the ties, blouses, or scarves, they don't have any small, busy prints that actually creates a jumpy effect on the screen. If any of you have never seen it, it's it's quite fascinating. But definitely think about what you are wearing because it is considered an interview, whether it be with the search firm or with the client. I, I think dry runs are essential. So, so testing all of your technology, whether it's with the search firm, whether it's with um, a friend, you know, and always have that backup plan, right? So um, technology is great when it works, but it, it can fail. So if it's a phone nearby, just make sure it's on silent, but being able to utilize that if need be. Yeah, great tips. Uh, this whole virtual world has really made us, as you said, become experts in videos overnight. And, you know, uh, Isabel, I would also, if I can interject for a second, 
We are, we're learning, right? We, we're all learning and we all realize that situations happen and whatnot. But I would try never to do, um, to do it off of a phone or even a tablet. And it's also distracting. I know some candidates sometimes will, um, especially now that we are virtual, will go and do their car or something to do their interview so that they leave the office. It does become very distracting um, when you're doing that. So I would suggest for whatever you can do, even if you have to leave and um, go to a, a, a quiet, another quiet part of the office building or or outside to a, a different location if you can't make it home, but something that is quiet but lets you sit still and place your camera, your computer on a desk or on a uh, a hard surface. Good advice, hold, yes. Hold, I have had to ask candidates to turn their video off because they're holding their phones and they're talking and, and it's it's literally making me dizzy trying to watch them. And so, um, so so you want to make sure that um that that you um have it in a in a place that's a little more secure. Yeah, yeah, great advice. So let's talk some about derailers. So career derailers to avoid. So what are some classic mistakes you've seen executive makes make in general? Adrian, let's talk about not being authentic. Yeah. So you know, authenticity, I think, is is a word that can be overused, but it's 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 really important. It's really interesting how you can tell when somebody is being authentic. It does come across, and it comes across. It's very apparent when it comes across, and um, trying too hard or being too prepared that you can be too prepared. You can be scripted and scripted does not come across as authentic. And there are times to be scripted, certainly, but there are times when you shouldn't be. And an interview is a time when you should know what you need to say and the message you want to get across, but it doesn't, shouldn't come across as scripted. So authenticity and empathy are critical ones to show, and and, uh, and 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 ones that can be seen in an interview if they're not there. I think the other one, though, uh, the other a few that I'll mention. I think one is acting too casual in an interview. There's the balance between being so buttoned up and showing and being authentic, and there's the balance with showing too much of yourself. <laughs> and, and I don't mean physically showing too much of yourself. I mean, um, showing too much of your personality because what they want to see, we all have silly sides of us, or we all have different sides of us, but they come out in the right settings. In an interview, you want to make sure your professional side comes out and showing them a little bit about as I said, using humor apparent, appropriately, but you want to make sure your professional side comes out so that they see the leader that you need, that they're looking for. So acting too casual, and especially sometimes people I've seen, you know, in thinking about this question is about, you know, I, I kept thinking back to looking back at the interviews that I've done and what's, what are some of the, the things that hiring organizations have said, why they don't, why a candidate didn't advance. And I've heard that when we talk about acting too casually, I've heard that oftentimes with internal candidates. And if you're an internal candidate for something, 
understand that you need to act like you're an external candidate. You need to be as prepared. They're going to expect more from you because you know the organization to the degree that you don't. So a derailer and a mistake is being an internal candidate and taking that too lightly. And they want to see you in the position that that they're recruiting for. I also think too, Adrian, with internal candidates, many go in with the assumption that their accomplishments within the organization are known to those interviewing. And I always prepare internal as I do external, as Adrian has said, except that there may be more expected of you that come prepared to talk about your accomplishments and be able to give specifics because it's it's not safe to assume that internal, um, even your boss for that matter, are aware of all your accomplishments. Yeah, Diane, that's a great point. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is absolutely critical. And not only just your accomplishments in your current organization, but your accomplishments in the life you had before you got there, right? You had a life, you had experiences, you had probably experiences that the majority of folks don't know about, places you've worked and roles that you've had. So it is, that's a critically important piece. I think another derailer is, as we mentioned before, talking too much. Another derailer is not doing your homework. We've mentioned that. And then the final one that I'll mention is balancing I and the team. So this one's a tricky one because there are times when people will, uh, in debriefing on interviews that 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 the hiring organization would have, they may say, this person just used I the whole time. And we know that they didn't do it all. And so how much did they really do versus the team? And other times you'll hear them saying they used team all the time. Well, did they really do anything or was it just the team that did it? So it's the it's a balance. And again, I, I can't give you an answer for what that right balance is. But sometimes what I tell people is to make a, a, a almost a blanket general statement during your question and answer time when you're answering questions and say, you know, I might use the word I, but please understand that without the team that that I, that's that work with me and that work alongside of me and that I work with and alongside of that none of this could have been done and make a, a statement kind of like that or sometimes it's an I and sometimes it's a team it's a it's a balance but it is a derailer if it's used too much on one side or the other excellent points yes Adrian any insights on you know you are working with some very experienced candidates. Any notion as to um, whether or not ego or arrogance might ever play a factor? Have you seen that? Yes, <laughs> we we have seen that. And and just as empathy and being authentic and all of that comes and not being authentic comes across, so does an ego and so does arrogance. And you know, Isabel, that's where that that I balance comes into things as well, right? No one person has made all of these changes. And the the ego part of trying to even even on a even on paper, not even on the interview, but even on paper, if you are only in an organization like two years or so, having 
really significant jumps in length of stay and in quality and things like that are hard for people to understand to a great degree. Now, I'm not saying any, but I'm saying some resumes you'll look at and they just have these, every one of these metrics that have just moved significantly. And how much, because we all know that a lot of those, the, the, the data that reports some of this is pretty far behind where we're at. So how much of this did the person actually have the ability to impact? So even on a resume, ego can show through. And in an interview, what I have always said is I want to see confidence, but humility. I want to see somebody who's confident, who knows what they are doing, who can be that leader that I'm that that my, my our client that the hiring organization is looking for, but who also knows how to be a team player, how to take care of of a team, how to help grow and mentor others, who doesn't need to always be in the limelight. So the ego comes through even in interviews, and you want to make sure that you are shown as a confident leader, but you have humility and a humbleness to you as well. Yes, absolutely. There certainly is a lot of integrity and humility, I would say so. Absolutely. Um, Diane, social media. So any thoughts on social media derailers and this high-tech world that we live in? So I would just encourage candidates that to be really mindful of the content that is out there. You know, derailers include controversial or inappropriate statements, comments, perhaps photos that make you appear unprofessional. I think a lot of candidates do a really excellent job at keeping their personal and professional sort of personas separate. But I can tell you in the age of artificial intelligence and the tools that we have, recruiters and employers are definitely likely to see both um, professional and personal profiles. Would recommend having your personal social profile set to private. We check all public um, available data. So if there's something out there, we will find it. Social media also includes things that are written about you, things like a DUI or, or a bankruptcy. Recently, I had a candidate who, due to medical bills, had to declare bankruptcy. Another was a DUI, but it happened 10 years ago, going through a difficult time in their life. So this is what we talk about, the surprises. Um, a search firm, you need to get in front of those, right? So it's important to be upfront and honest about these things so that there are no surprises. And we can work through any of these items, you know, with you and our clients and be able to tell the story before we're backpedaling and going back to you and saying, we came across X or Y. Yeah, excellent. And and Isabel, before we move on, Diane, that, that's that's a great statement because we can get ahead of it. And in addition to that, if you don't tell us that, it looks like you're hiding something. And in that case, then it, it anytime, remember, as we talked about earlier in this, it is a, a robust, we typically have robust pools of candidates out there, right? And so when you are narrowing, when a, a a, a hiring organization or a recruiter is narrowing their pool of candidates. Anything can, little things can be derailers or can put you in the B category, let's say, as, as opposed to a, a, a the, the list of, of, of candidates that we think have the greatest potential. 
because and, and hiding something like that, or and I don't mean hiding, that maybe is too strong of a word, but not not sharing that with us up front can give a little bit of a red flag that you don't need to give because chances are nine times out of 10, everything else you've done is spectacular, right? So that's one piece. I, I do want to go back to kind of a derailer or just a, a, a suggestion. If you have something that could be a derailer, and, and I mean derailer again in a broad term, let's say you're interviewing for your first CEO job and you're a chief operating officer and you might say to a recruiter or even more so to a hiring organization, you might be sitting here wondering why you're talking to a chief operating officer who's never been a chief executive officer or a director of nursing who's never been a chief nursing officer. Let me take a second and give you a few examples of some of the leadership skills that I've learned and earned over the years. So it's it's a potential derailer because you think about it, and I always tell people to you have to look at the pool of candidates. The pool of candidates is going to be for a chief nursing officer. It will probably have some sitting chief nursing officers in it. If you are not a sitting chief nursing officer in that pool, a chief nursing officer, you have to stand out even more. So I tell people to bring that up right away, to bring that up front and show why, because it's going to be a question in the back of their mind. And what you want to try to do is you want to try to minimize or eliminate any questions in the back of people's minds, which is why, as Diane said, anything um, that's out there that we might find out, bring out. Because if you don't, it'll, and you, and we find it, it'll leave a question in the back of our minds. Yes. Thank you, Adrian. All great points. So we're nearing the end of our program here. Um, so let's wrap up with the pearl of wisdom. So Diane and Adrian, you know, um, leave us with one last thought to consider about executive careers. Diane, I'll start with you. So I, I think for takeaway, and thank you, Isabel, is just the importance of building that network, as Adrian touched upon earlier, um, whether it's your peers and colleagues or the executive retained firms as well. We're great search partners and, and sounding boards for candidates. And I, I really think that is one area that all candidates or potential candidates um, could definitely develop more robustly. Thank you. Adrian? I couldn't come up with just one, so I have two, but I'll be brief. <laughs> um, first of all, don't be so concerned about titles. Titles become less important. Be concerned, more, look more at the skill sets and understand that it's okay to sometimes go sideways and not necessarily up in your career, because sometimes you do have to take that sideways step to move up um, to build that skill set. My last and final comment, though, will be believe in yourself because that shows through. Again, it's that confident humility and believe in yourself and have confidence in what you do because you've obviously gotten to this point and to a certain point in your career and what you're the right job for you is that job that will help you continue to grow and develop those skill sets that you've already obviously have honed in on. All right. 
Adrian, Diane, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me today in a very lively and thoughtful conversation. I appreciate your time and insight. Thank you. Thank you. It's been thank fun. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you for tuning in. We invite you to visit wakefer.com to learn more about our expertise in leadership and view our open searches. You can follow Wakefer on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Wakefer. Wakefer makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Reliance on the information provided in this podcast is undertaken at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Third-party materials or the contents of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of Wikiver. Wikiver assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein. Wikiver makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. Wikiver expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented.